when the microbiome is upset like that, what generally happens if you take antibiotics, it can they can wipe out 95% of the good bacteria in your gut. And it can take up to six months to repopulate that good bacteria. But because candida, they call it an opportunistic organism, as soon as the, the probiotics or the good bacteria are gone, the candida tends to, it's like the cockroach of your intestinal tract, some people call it. So it just it multiplies much more quickly. That was Ricky Heller, and we're talking about the anti-candida diet on episode 24 of the Namely Marley podcast. Hey, everyone, and welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. I'm Marley. Thanks so much for joining me today for the 24th episode. You know, this is the podcast dedicated to living a creative, healthy, and passion-filled life. Each week, my goal is to share with you interviews, thoughts, stories, everything about living an inspired life. This covers things like diet, plant-based eating, creativity, you name it. Everything to help us all learn what it takes to live our life to its best potential. I always feel like those are easy words to say and not always easy words to do. I hope this podcast helps. Today, I'm talking with Ricky Heller, who is author of several books, including Naturally Sweet and Gluten-Free. I think Ricky is like the guru of allergy-friendly vegan desserts, and that's really a nice title to have. <laughs> Ricky and I talk about how she became so intrigued with creating these naturally sweet and gluten-free versions of like, you know, our favorite foods as a way of treating a condition she was diagnosed with called candida overgrowth. Ricky talks about this uh, condition and her diagnosis and treatment of that. Um, she even wrote another book called Living Candida Free, so you can learn more about that as well. There is some controversy on the topic of candida. Ricky talks about this in our interview, and she talks about how she went to a naturopathic doctor for her diagnosis and, you know, became so passionate about it that she studied nutrition afterwards as a way of, you know, self-treating this condition and, and trying to find ways to feel better. Ricky talks about some of the recipes that she's created with natural sugars, and we even talk about some of her favorite low glycemic sweeteners. And so um, you won't believe some of the recipes that she's come up with. They're pretty impressive and also, you know, satisfies that sweet tooth with, you know, very natural sweeteners. And, you know, whether, whether or not you uh, have this condition of candida or whether you have uh, diabetes or just, you know, wanting to focus on reducing too much sugar in our diets, which I think a lot of us probably, I know I have a sweet tooth. And so I'm always looking for ways to uh, either reduce the amount of sugar that I'm using in the, in the recipe or, you know, finding some natural ways to uh, compensate for that. It's pretty uh, a good goal to have. And so I think it sounds kind of challenging to live with reduced sugars on a plant-based diet, but Ricky makes it look so easy. So I'm really excited to share this with you and let's go straight to it. Here's today's feature interview with Ricky Heller. Hey everyone, I'm happy to have Ricky Heller, author of the site by the same name and a lot of books, one of which is Living Candida Free. She's on the show today. Ricky, welcome to the Namely Marley podcast. Thanks. Thanks so much. I'm so glad to be here. Well, I'm so glad that you're here. And I'm really looking forward to talking with you about candida free living. I just think that's such an, an interesting topic. But first, I thought it might be good for everybody if you could just kind of uh, take a step back and talk about your background. Um, when did you first decide to become vegan? It was actually initially not a conscious decision because I kind of fell into eating this way because it was the way that appealed to me the most. So I always say that vegan cuisine is just my favorite cuisine. <sighs> and 
Um, ironically, I was raised by a father who was a butcher. So that is ironic. Ate, hilarious. So we ate meat every day. And I also believe, in retrospect, looking back, that my mom was kind of a closet vegetarian because even though we ate, my dad brought meat home every day, she, there were a lot of things she would not eat if they had meat in them or fish. And so she, she ate pretty much vegetarian. And then when I went away to university, I guess it was a combination of just the influence of my mother's way of eating, which I really enjoyed. And my father saying to us, you're not, you know, you cannot eat meat if you don't know the origin, because as a butcher, he knew where the meat came from. And he felt that other places wouldn't give us good quality meat. So I sort of went away with that in my head that I was never going to eat meat. And then I just fell into this pattern of eating vegan. And I didn't even realize it until really when I was out of university and I started hearing about what vegan was and, you know, plant-based. And I realized, oh, my goodness, I, I am basically vegan. So at that point, um, I would say I, I just ate that way most of the time because I liked it. And then when I started, when I got ill and I decided to go to nutrition school to find out about how to get better, I learned about veganism as, as a way of eating and plant-based eating and all of the health benefits. And so it just clicked and I decided I was going to eat that way. And when I started my anti-candida diet, it was 100% vegan and I just stuck with it. So let's talk a little bit about that. You know, you talk about um, your illness. Is that what kind of inspired you to get into nutrition? Absolutely. Um, because I had been sick for so long, and nobody was able to really help me. And it wasn't until I stumbled upon literally, like it was just by chance that I stumbled upon a holistically minded MD here in the Toronto area. And so she had me change my diet and do all these different things. And I started to wonder, you know, why was this food allowed and this food wasn't? Or why did she tell me to take this supplement and not that one? So I took a leave of absence from my job at the time. And I went and I studied nutrition at the Canadian School of Natural Nutrition. And that was honestly one of the best years ever. I just, I soaked it up like a sponge. I loved every minute of that year learning all about the, the food as medicine and the different diets that are out there and all the different supplements and natural approaches. Um, and then after that, you know, I, I really just continued to follow a whole foods, healthy diet. Wow, that's a sign that you, you know, you've uh, struck gold when you're that passionate about something. It's a good sign, right? Yeah, yeah, I really, really love, love it. And so that's when uh, you kind of decided to start your blog and start sharing recipes with other people who might be, you know, feeling the same way? Yeah, I guess it was a little bit after I graduated from nutrition school in 2004. And what I did after that was um, based, you know, I had been learning from various teachers and, and a couple of the teachers held cooking classes in their homes. So I just thought, oh, well, I like that. So I'm going to do that. <laughs> so I just just went to the local health food store and put up a couple of flyers. And within about six months, I was filling my classes. And do, I did that for about another three years. And I held those classes in my home. And so we ended up moving at the end of 2007 to a place where the kitchen, the layout just wasn't really right for the classes. And by that time, I'd been doing it for three years. My husband was kind of fed up with having to hide upstairs <laughs> while I was conducting my classes. So I decided I was going to stop. And for whatever reason, I think I had just learned about what a blog was. And it was a good outlet for me. I was on holiday from the college where I was teaching. 
and I've always written, I've always had a journal. So it was just a way to kind of chronicle what I was eating and what I was thinking about. So it really started off as a, um, almost like a diary slash blog. And then it morphed into a food blog when I really went seriously on the anti-candida diet in 2009. I changed my approach, obviously, to, you know, from just your basic whole foods to anti-candida. And I would say that's when the blog really started to take off and I, my readership really expanded a lot. Um, I, you know, ironically because, you know, I didn't, I thought here I am now I'm, I'm only going to appeal to such a teeny tiny, you know, little ribbon you know, of people from the whole spectrum. Yes. But in fact, by narrowing my niche that much, I ended up increasing my audience, audience exponentially. That's amazing because I think, you know, in other words, you just become the online expert for that topic. Yeah, because I, I mean, I didn't realize there really was no one else out there. And there's still, as far as I know, there's nobody else who approaches an anti-candida diet from a plant-based perspective. So I think that was part of the appeal, perhaps. And um, when I when I published the first book, as I was chat, we were chatting a little, a little bit earlier, at that point is when I changed my blog and it move to rickyheller.com. So tell me, uh, let's talk about candida for a moment. What is that diagnosis? And you know, can you talk about the symptoms that you had and, and uh, what caused you, know, you to make those changes to your diet? Sure. So candida is actually a yeast. It's an organism. Candida albicans is the most common form, but there are many different strains of candida. But most people, uh, when we talk about someone ha having candida, we're talking about candida albicans. And it's it's always in your body. It lives in the digestive tract. It lives in the mucous membranes, just like, you know, we have bacteria and germs and all, all other microorganisms that live within us and on us all the time. And normally you have this lovely, harmonious little microcosm in your gut. But when something creates an imbalance, and for many people, it's antibiotics. For a lot of other people, it's overeating refined or sugary foods. Sometimes it's taking the pill that can disrupt the balance or other drugs over the counter or otherwise, and even stress can disrupt that internal balance. And so basically I had all of those risk factors. Mm -hmm. And so uh, when I was about in my late 30s, I ended up with a series of sinus infections, which I didn't know at the time. That's one of the symptoms of yeast overgrowth, because mm -hmm. what happens is, yeah, yeah. And in fact, just recently, like the last couple of years, Studies have shown that up to 93% of sinus infections are actually fungal-based because yeast is a fungus, right? Um, candida is a fungus. They're fungal-based versus um, bacterial. So if you're given antibiotics for your sinus infection, oftentimes they're not even necessary. Wow. But what happened with me, I mean, even if they were fungal, eventually bacteria grows as well and it can you can have the effects of a bacterial infection on top of your fungal infection. So it can be really bad if you don't treat it. But um, so I had four of those in three months mm. and um, I just got sicker and sicker. I had a, a, a candida rash. You can get really red, itchy rashes. I had one on my chest that was just growing and growing. And one of the, the two hallmarks for, for most people are uh, really like almost uncontrollable sugar cravings or carb cravings, which I had as well. I consider myself a sugar addict. So it's the, because the yeast feeds on sugar. If you've ever baked bread with yeast, right, you've got to feed it sugar. Yes. So in your body, same thing. So you're, you're craving these carbs all the time. And the other symptom that a lot of people report is what they call foggy brain or foggy thinking. So 
I never had that at the beginning, but then when it got really bad, I didn't realize until afterward that I had had that symptom. And it was, I had a period where I literally, I felt like I, I, I must have been going senile. I couldn't remember things that I had said that morning. I usually have a, uh, I used to have a great memory for pretty much anything. And I could remember a phone number after hearing it once. And here I was not able to remember something that I had done that morning. Mm -hmm. So you feel like you're constantly, everything is just not clear. Your mind isn't sharp. It's really, really frustrating. And when, when my candida cleared up, it was like literally like a fog lifted. So that's a very common symptom too. And for and, folks who uh, might be thinking like sugar cravings is a bit of a stretch for a symptom, I mean, they're now coming out with studies that talk about the microbiome and how um, the bacteria in your gut causes you to crave certain foods. That's definitely, you know, it's it's a true yeah. thing. Oh, yes. And it's the candida because in the when the microbiome is upset like that, what generally happens if you take antibiotics, it can they can wipe out 95% of the good bacteria in your gut. And it can take up to six months to repopulate that good bacteria. But because candida, they call it an opportunistic organism, as soon as the, the probiotics or the good bacteria are gone, the candida tends to, it's like the cockroach of your intestinal tract, mm-hmm. some people call it. So it just it multiplies much more quickly and it can become really troublesome. And so when you have that much candida living in the gut, it's calling out for its food. And that's it really does propel those sugar cravings. You. It, it, it's like an unnatural kind of sugar craving for a lot of people. You feel literally compelled to, to eat sugar, carbs, anything that will create sugar in the body. So I bet you're very hesitant to go on antibiotics now, huh? Oh my gosh, I'll do almost anything yes. to avoid it. Yeah. I had yeah. a root canal recently and the doctor wanted to put me on um, antibiotics and I said, do I have to do this? And she said, well, we really recommend it. And so then I went to go get it filled. And I just thought, I do not want to do I called the office. And I said, you know, because I had irritable bowel syndrome before. And I have just, you know, like, I'm I'm to a happy place. <laughs> I, don't, I don't really want to go back. I called and said, can I please not do this? And they, they, they said, sure, you know, it was okay. <laughs> yeah, because you know what, I think half the time when we're prescribed antibiotics, it's just prophylactic. Yes, in case, yes, I, I agree. You know, and there are so many that are becoming useless now anyway right. because of use. So why not let yeah. your immune system take you know take charge if if you can do it on your own? Why not? Yeah, if you can, yes. for sure. Obviously, there are times when you know antibiotics are necessary, but yeah. So I, so that kind of explains the symptoms that you went through. I mean, what kind of? Um, I'm just curious how they diagnose us. Do they draw blood or how do they do that? There are actually four tests that you can use. So they can do a blood test. There's a stool test, a urine test, and a saliva test. Wow. And, and, but none of those is 100% accurate ah. because, you know, if you do a stool test, it's normal to have candida in the colon because, like I said, it's one of the normal inhabitants along with all the probiotics and germs and whatnot. So y- you either need someone who's really good at reading the test there's one test called an organic acids test, which you can read through a urine test, and that's one of the better ones. Sometimes people will look to see in the blood if there are um, antibodies to candida, which means you may have had a reaction in the body previously to the candida. And then the, the saliva test is one that you can find on the internet. It's a sort of do it do it yourself at home test, and it's been criticized as being inaccurate. But I have to say, I did it just sort of for fun. I did it for about a month when I was having um, issues. And 
I have to say, for me anyway, it really did correspond well with how my candida was doing. So I can tell you how to do it if, if your listeners are interested, um, or you can just look it up on the internet. That's cool. So yeah, I'm glad to know that there's options both for going into the doctor. I mean, if, if somebody goes into their regular doctor, is their doctor going to know what this is? They're going to think they're crazy if they say, <laughs> I think. Um, you know what? I, I shouldn't even say that, that with functional medicine becoming more popular yes, and yes. functional medicine doctors, here in Canada, we don't have really functional medicine doctors. So if you go to a regular allopathic physician, yeah. for the most part, what I've come to understand is that their definition of candida is different from the alternative. And it's unfortunate that we use the same word because we're actually talking about two different things from what I understand. Uh, so to a conventional doctor and say, I have candida, candidiasis is an overgrowth of candida that's often infiltrated the bloodstream. And it happens to people who are severely immunocompromised, like AIDS patients or cancer patients undergoing chemotherapy. So when you say that to a regular doctor, they expect you to be on the verge of death, right? Yes. Because candidiasis is so serious, you have to be treated intravenously with antifungals and you could die. When an alternative practitioner like a naturopath says you have candida, they mean you have this intestinal imbalance, often leaky gut, that there's been some dysbiosis or imbalance in the intestinal flora or the microbiome. And that's what candida means to somebody who is holistic. And so the way we deal with candida is by rebalancing the, the microbiome and reintroducing good bacteria and getting rid of the excess candida organism. It's a, so you're not, you're, you feel ill, but you're certainly not about to die. <laughs> Good. Well, and, and the thing I wanted to talk with you about today too, is um, the changes that you made to your diet and the things I know that you also have a course and people can sign up for it and you can go into a lot of detail in that. But maybe if you could provide just kind of an overview of some of the things that you do uh, with your diet to help, uh, you know, like, it's like you say, you want to go to your doctor and get help there. But if there are things that you can do on your own as well, that's really nice. Sure. And so basically, there's there are two components: diet and supplements, or uh, supplements and or uh, prescription antifungals. So you would have to do you can't for most people. I would say for 95% of the people who have candida overgrowth, if you just change your diet, it's not going to be enough mm -hmm. because you have to do something active to kill that excess candida as well. And with diet, you can starve it out slowly, but you're not going to kill the excess. So you have to do those two two pronged approach. And basically, the dietary changes you want them either to you're eating foods that help to kill candida and you're also eating foods that are not going to stress out your immune system because with candida your immune system's already on maximum so uh, some of the foods that are known to help kill candida and a lot of the supplements take the same compounds and just concentrate them so garlic is fabulous it contains Allicin, which is sort of a broad spectrum antimicrobial that kills germs and candida and fungus and bacteria and all bad things. And so, you know, some people, if they're given a supplement, they're given allicin where it's very concentrated. But you can just eat garlic. If you're willing to eat five or six cloves of raw garlic a day, which I did, I've done in my, in my time, um, <laughs> you know, that can help a lot. The other food that's really great for antifungal properties is, believe it or not, coconut oil. Mm, I like that stuff. Yeah, so if you get organic coconut oil, it contains caprylic acid, which is antifungal. So you can buy just caprylic acid, but again, if you're willing to, like, you know, most people on an anti-candida regime try to consume one or two tablespoons of coconut oil a day. I couldn't manage it myself. I just can't eat straight oil. But, you know, I try to 
cook as much as I can with coconut. Did you say teaspoons or tablespoons? Tablespoons. Oh my gosh, that's a lot. You know, somebody who just puts it on a spoon and eats it. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) I just can't bring my, you know, it's funny because as a sugar addict and a sweets addict, I love things that are creamy and rich. And, you know, I used to love, I love coconut whipped cream. I love coconut milk, but just straight up oil. No, thanks. Yeah. I've had so so many stomach issues and it seems like, you know, oil would, (laughs) it's never been very good. I haven't had a lot of oils, never been good on my stomach. Yeah, mine either. But some people thrive on it. You know, yes. if you're on a ketogenic diet, you eat a lot of oil. So that's one, another food. And then there are all the kinds of foods that help to heal the gut, like cabbage. People, some people might not know, but cabbage juice is almost like aloe vera juice. It's very healing to the gut lining. Really? I yeah. Love cabbage. Yeah. I love cabbage too. And I always juice. I always put cabbage in my juice now if I when I have my green juices. So. And also green juices are great. Anything alkalizing, so anything green, green vegetables, green leafies, green juice is going to be great for candida as well because the candida organism likes an acidic environment oh. and all that green makes you more alkaline. So it's it just creates a bad environment for the candida. Ah, good. So, so you can kind of starve it out that way, huh? Yeah. And then the one thing I didn't say, which is the most important, is no sugars, no foods that and, – and ideally you want to try to get foods that don't even contain – much natural sugar so no fruits when you start out nothing refined no white products and for the whole side that has to do with you know non-allergenic you're trying to keep the immune system working smoothly so you want to cut out any of the highly allergenic foods like corn and wheat and gluten and if you're on an omnivorous diet like they're not allowed eggs or red meat or anything like that and nothing processed nothing refined no alcohol no coffee Shall I go on? <laughs> wow. But but it sounds like that's something you have to do at the beginning to be very strict, right? And then you can kind of slowly introduce things back into your diet? Yeah, it's a process. Yes. So depending on, on how bad the candida infestation is, it will take more or less time. So I was in really horrible shape. It took me about two years. Wow. To, and I still have never brought back certain foods. Like I will never eat white sugar again. Um, I won't eat refined things. I'm gonna I'm going to be gluten free from now on. So certain things I'll never bring back. Let's talk a little bit about uh, not having white sugar. I mean, that's in a lot of things, right? Like ketchup and barbecue sauce. Yep. So when you're on an anti-candida diet, you have to make your own if you want those things. Yes. Like even sriracha has has sugar in it. I love that stuff. I do too. (laughs) And you know, like at this point, a couple of drops of sriracha is not going to hurt okay. me, but I, I would love to make my own recipe so that people who are starting yes. out can have their sriracha. Yeah. yeah. So that's what I try to do is, is recreate a lot of these favorite foods in a way that is not going to feed the candida. So like in my book, I have a recipe for ketchup, for instance, homemade ketchup, uh, because I didn't want to be without ketchup when I wasn't yeah. able to, you know. To be honest, I've made my home uh, my own homemade ketchup too. And I actually kind of, I'm okay with it being less sweet. It's kind of sweet. Yeah. Well, I sweeten it. I just sweeten it with stevia. Ah, yes. But you know, it's probably not as sweet, right, as the kind you buy in the store, or is it? You know what? I don't know anymore because I haven't had regular ketchup in the store. <laughs> <laughs> I just think sweetness is something that your taste buds adjust to. And so the less, when you don't have a lot of sugar, then uh, things that have sugar, in are, you know, they're more sweet tasting, I guess, is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I found that. It's funny because just as an example, when I had been off of, you know, I was really strict for like the first six months, like literally no fruit, nothing sweet whatsoever. And 
I went to an event, it was like a, a foodie event, and it was uh, an, a local organic chocolate company, and they had these tables of all the different chocolate mm. flavors, and I was basically in tears because I couldn't have any, and I, so they kept offering me, and finally I just said to this woman, look, I'm really sorry, it looks great, but I cannot have anything with any sugar in it at all, and she said, well, we have this unsweetened ch- chocolate right here, and you know, it's, our, it's really good, so, like, so I took a teeny bite, and I have to tell you, I was like, this isn't bad at all (laughs) and I have since tasted it now that I've brought sweet back into my life and it's bitter it doesn't you know so your taste buds really change because at the time it tasted just fine to me but now it's too bitter for me I have to add sweetener I'm trying to think who I heard I think it was Kathy Freston do you know her she's the she's done several vegan cookbooks yeah and she's talked about um how uh, she'll have a square of unsweetened uh, chocolate after lunch just as a you know something to I don't know, feed that <laughs> desire for chocolate. But I tried that and it didn't really work for me. <laughs> no, it does not work for me. I could do like 70, 75%, but yeah. Well, I, you see, I cannot have that now. I because know. It, yes, that's hard to grasp. But you know what? I was, I mean, my favorite thing in the world before I changed everything was milk chocolate. Me too. And so, uh, yeah. So, well, I thought, what am I going to do without chocolate? So I just make my own. You can buy raw cacao and you can buy cacao butter yes. and you melt a little coconut oil and you put the, and I sweeten it with stevia and it's delicious. I love it. See, I was going to ask you, so what about sweeteners? I mean, stevia is on the okay list. Yeah. So when you're first starting out, like when you're still in the no fruit stage, the only, there are really only like two basic sweeteners you can have. So stevia, which is an herbal sweetener and it's low glycemic, it's zero glycemic. So it does not affect your blood sugar at all. Yeah. So ideal because you don't want to be spiking blood sugar levels and then the other ones are what are called sugar alcohols like xylitol and erythritol yes and i i've tried erythritol i'm not a fan why i'm not crazy it uh, two reasons so the sugar alcohols the reason that they're lower calorie and that they're lower glycemic is because our digestive tract can't break them down and absorb them completely so therefore, you're not absorbing all the calories. Mm. But the fact that we can't digest them effectively also creates for some people digestive issues like gas and bloating and things like that. Some people get diarrhea. And I found I had a bad reaction to erythritol, but it also has a an interesting taste. Like It, it doesn't have a flavor except for sweet, but it leaves a kind of a, you know, when you, when you chew like spearmint gum, it leaves that yeah. minty feeling on the mouth, like that fresh feeling in your mouth. Yes. It leaves that kind of feeling. And that's so what's in Trivia, right? It's it's both Stevia and Erythritol. Oh, I don't know because I don't use Trivia. I try not to use the ones that are blends like that because you never know what the fillers are in them. I'm pretty so I, sure they talk about those two ingredients are the only two ingredients in them. But yeah, that's what I've been using a lot. But I, you know. Well, I mean, there's nothing bad yeah. for you. I, I find for me, Xylitol works better because it has no aftertaste or anything like that it's white you can measure it one for one like you yes. would sugar and it's also low glycemic I got so you. That when, when you're just starting those are pretty much there's one more called the acone syrup and um, another sweetener called monk fruit those are also okay in the very first stages but they're harder to get and they're more expensive so i, I stick i tend to stick with stevia and xylitol and, and stevia has gotten so much better it seemed like in the beginning like if i put that in my iced tea it would get it would be clumpy and you know now i think they've they process it better it's it's really very nice i think oh good i use the liquid most of the time so uh, i don't have clumping 
Yeah. Yeah, that's smart. That's a good idea. So what about um, people who like, let's say you're, I know you're so great at making these desserts that are, you know, naturally sugar free. And um, I'm just curious, like, you know, I've seen you put bananas, you've used sweet potatoes, or just all different kinds of creative ingredients to create a a flavor or richness to a, a recipe. That's amazing. Yeah, well, you know, you get creative when you have limited choices, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I have to say, actually, I haven't used bananas in a very long time because they are not, ex- bananas are one of the sweetest fruits, the highest sugar fruits. So I actually haven't had bananas in years and dates, dates have more natural sugars than any other fruit. Yes. So those kind of fruits I still do, I won't eat anymore, but I do eat the what they call the non-sweet fruits like berries, apples, pears, that kind of thing. But um, I also now at this point, I can have the occasional coconut sugar or coconut nectar because they're lower glycemic. Mm. Love coconut sugar. I just love it. Yes. It just has such a beautiful flavor. The caramel flavor to it or something, don't you think? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I find, you know, a, a really well-baked sweet potato is similar. So it gets caramelized. Yes. and. Um, I don't know if you, uh, as you know, like one of the most popular recipes on my blog and in my cookbook, Naturally Sweet and Gluten Free, is the chocolate buttercream frosting. It's just, (laughs) I still can't get over it. It's just crazy. I mean, what what you use to make this. Yeah, but I don't know if you've ever tried it, but it tastes like chocolate buttercream. So it's great for people who are on low glycemic, like even in that book, Naturally Sweet and Gluten Free, because the main sweeteners are stevia and coconut sugar. And I use a little bit of some of the others like agave or um, brown rice syrup very occasionally in the recipes there. But those are even good for type 2 diabetics because they're lower glycemic. Ah, oh, that's interesting. Okay, that's good to know. So um, it's if, even if you don't have the issue with candida, if you have uh, diabetes and you're trying to reduce the amount of sugar, I mean, honestly, if you think about it, if you're making frosting out of sweet potatoes combined with cocoa or whatever, that's that's got the fiber attached to it. That's so much better for you. Yeah. And most people think of sweet potato as like potato. It's even sweeter than potato, so they think it's worse than white potato. But in fact, it's much lower glycemic than white potato. It doesn't, white potato will spike your blood sugar almost the way that white flour will, but sweet potato will not. And it is, it's high fiber. It's got lots of vitamins and minerals. It's, it's like my favorite, favorite vegetable for sure. Have you ever gone to nutrition, nutritionvax.org? Sure. Yeah. yeah. Dr. Gregor, um, he actually is going to be on the show as well. And he, um, he talks about sweet potatoes and that, you know, like you should have one every day basically is what his, his advice is. <laughs> they're so good for you. Yeah. And you know, someone like me, like once you get into menopause, they're, they're also really good for, for that. They help to balance hormones. They're, they're just a great food. Yeah. I, I, he actually talked about their cancer fighting, uh, characteristics too. The, I thought about the peel, I think has some, so like I have a um, a close family member who is um, going through cancer treatments right now. And I called him and said, you know, you need to have, be having a sweet potato every day. <laughs> Sorry for that. Yes, it's very sad. But, you know, I think, you know, they're coming up with things every day. And I really believe in, I mean, I am, I'm all for Western medicine and, and, you know, he's on chemo. And I think that's really important because he's, it's a serious case of cancer. But I also think whatever you can do to help uh, improve yourself naturally, uh, in addition to that is really important. Yeah, absolutely. So you're also gluten free. Can we talk about that for a moment? Sure. Because <laughs> I've been kind of, I've gone through a kind of gluten-free journey. I'm to the point now where I can, I can have gluten from time to time. I just try not to push it too much. But um, for a while, I was pretty strict about it. And it is, it's tricky to be both gluten-free and vegan. Do you think? 
Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I'm so used to it now that I don't even think about it. I think the only main issue that some people have is what I've noticed is in gluten-free recipes, oftentimes the way they compensate for the gluten is by using eggs. Yes. So when I was formulating re- like recipes for baked goods, there's there's that to consider. But I, it took me a long time. I, I, I came up with an all-purpose gluten-free flour mix. And I think it works very much the same way as an all-purpose wheat flour, except you need to add a binder like a xanthan gum or a guar gum or something like that. Um, or, you know, I'm, I've gotten into psyllium husk now. I don't know if you're familiar yes. with that. Um, as, a, as my favorite binder for gluten-free baking. But I find like, so I've somehow over time and with experimentation, I've gotten into the zone with, with gluten-free baking as, as, a, as vegan baker. And so I kind of already have a feeling for how much of the binder I need to add and how much extra flaxseed I need to add to compensate for the eggs and that kind of thing. So I find for me at this point anyway, it's not really, it doesn't feel like that much of a challenge to be honest. That's great. You've kind of got it down to a science then, huh? I guess. I mean, I don't bake conventional bread, so maybe that's part of it. I don't do yeast bread because I can't have anything with yeast in it yes. as part of the... So you're doing more but, of a flat bread? Yeah, or I'll do like a soda bread kind of Biscuit. thing, you know, like just a, yeah. yeah, or pan bread. And I'm not a big bread e- eater anyway, to be honest. You know what's interesting is when I gave up gluten for a while, I, I actually don't really find uh, bread to be that interesting to eat anymore. It's kind of doughy in the middle. Yeah. It, and I find, you know, when you start baking gluten-free, I was just saying this in one of the classes in my food freedom program last night, that we were talking about gluten, and I was saying how, you know, with baking that contains gluten or gluten-full baking, whatever you want to call it, there's basically all-purpose flour and maybe once in a while cake flour. And otherwise, everything's the same. Yeah. Whereas with free baking, you have literally dozens of options of flours to choose from. And yeah. so... You know, you can pick different flavors and different textures, and it depends how you feel that day or w- whether it's a pizza crust versus, you know, bread or whether a muffin. or yeah. So there's so much more variety. And just by ch- as it turns out, because gluten-free flours haven't been around that long, they tend not to be as refined. Most of them, you're going to get uh, a whole grain. So they have more flavor. That's good. Yeah. And what about, like, have you heard of these low-gluten flours like cassava? Have you heard about that? I've heard of cassava. I have not been able to find it here yeah, yet. Me neither. We're often a little behind the U.S. Here. <laughs> Toronto and Kansas City, we have something in common. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what? I think in that regard, yes. So when it comes out, I can't wait to try it. Yes. I've tried, I've tried pretty much every other gluten-free flour I can think of. I mean, coconut is great. I love coconut flour. Um, I've used nut and seed flours as well. So I love yeah, different flour. I love almond flour too, you know, so yeah, I, I just think that there's just so much variety that you never have to be bored with your food and yes. it's more interesting. I like adding like almond flour to my uh, gluten-free pizza crust because I feel like it adds a little bit of, um, well, is fat the right word? It just gives it, you know, some texture. It's really nice. And also, I mean, you're getting protein and fat, right? Yes. So it's, it's it's more nutritionally dense. It's better for you. Yes. I'm so glad to hear you talking about like coconut oil and almond flour because it's, sometimes it seems like fat is like a taboo subject. Like people are, I've been hearing lately more about how bad fat is, but I think you've got to have some fat in your diet. Well, I'm a believer that you do. I mean, I, it's interesting to me. I did an interview with somebody a while back who's on a ketogenic diet, yes. which is 70% fat. That's, yeah, that's a lot. It's insane. 
to me. And she says, you know, that is the cure-all for everything. So I think it's so interesting how there's this spectrum now. We go from the one end, you know, <laughs> yeah. like pork knives, no fat, and no, like, what is it, SOS, no salt or, or sh- sugar yes. or oil or salt, right? Yeah. And then on the other end of the spectrum are these people who are, like, paleo, high fat or whatever. Yeah. I, I'm in the middle. I, I am not anti-fat in the least because you actually need fat for every cell in your body and your brain is 60% fat. So you want to have some healthy fats in your diet, but I don't think you should overdo it either. Yes. I just know that the times that I've tried to go low fat, I am hungry all the time. Like I'm ready to eat my arm off. I'm so hungry, you know, (laughs) I'm thinking about food all the time. I don't like living like that. Oh, and also for me, like for someone with candida, you don't want to be no fat because then you're going to increase your carbs, which is going to increase your blood sugar. Yes. Oh, I see. Okay, good. Well, and and on my boat, I, you know, I have had stomach issues for a long time. And in fact, I had to have my gallbladder removed. So for me, I can't, I imagine if I was eating 70, 80% fat, I'd be in trouble because I don't have a gallbladder. Right. That's right. So you do have to be more careful. Absolutely. And, And I think probably the source of the fat is important too. Like if I'm, if I eat like a bag of tortilla chips <laughs> i am in trouble but if i you know probably if like i'm having avocado that's a different story i don't think i think for some reason that fat metabolizes differently yeah i would agree well to me i mean the tortilla chips it's they're fried right yes. so it's you know and whereas an av- avocado it's part it's a natural part of the whole food yes i think that really makes a big difference as if it's related to the whole food i do too yeah because it, it's it's made by nature to be digested as a whole. Right? Yes. So your body knows what to do with that. Whereas, you know, fat and oils, those are, it, it's anything that you concentrate. It's like white sugar. We've taken one part of a food and concentrated it. We're not meant to eat a lot of that. <laughs> that makes so much sense if you think about it that way. Not to say that there are indulgences. I'm all for indulgences. So I love that yeah. you've got your naturally, naturally sweet and gluten-free book. And I'm sure when you're having your good days, you're able to eat those as well, right? Oh, yeah, I can still have those once in a while. I just I have to be careful not to overdo it. You know, when I was do when I was creating that book, and I was taste testing, like five times a day or whatever it was, I I had some issues once I was done with the book, because I was eating so many more sweets than I normally would. So yeah, for me, it's still and and I think because I think about the damage I did to my body when I was younger, I ate so much junk food. Mm -hmm. And I was such a processed food junkie and so you know there may be things that I can I'm not going to ever be the kind of person who can have what we call it craft dinner in Canada you call it craft macaroni and cheese I guess Um, that box mix and then have some Pringles and that you know like all the things that my sister eats right (laughs) you know even if I wanted to my body cannot do that yes yeah I you know it's probably it's not good for you anyway and I, I think I always feel better when I'm eating you know whole foods and plant based foods anyway yeah, and I mean, based on what I learned in nutrition school, ever since I went to nutrition school, my diet, I wouldn't want to eat that stuff because it, it's just not meal food half, half of it, you know. So it, um, that actually leads me to another question, which is, you know, is there an uh, ounce of prevention in this at all? Like, for example, if somebody thinks that, you know, I do not want to develop this candida thing, um, if they are, you know, eating off your book, and maybe just reducing the amount of sugar, you know, like uh, refined sugar in their diet, is that something that could possibly be a preventer of that happening for them? Well, again, I mean, I can't speak for each individual yes, person. That's true. I'd say in general, that's the be- I, that, in my opinion, is the way to eat to avoid all kinds of chronic disease. And, you know, Michael Greger, when you talk to him, I'm sure that's, you know, that's what he talks about on his 
his videos all the time is basically how eating a whole food, real food diet can help prevent disease. Yes. So for me, you know, I try to eat a lot of green leafies. Um, just as an example, I was diagnosed with osteopenia a few years ago. So that's the stage right before osteoporosis. And my doctor said, you know, you're basically like one point on the scale before osteoporosis. So I want to put you on medication. If you go one point worse, you're, you're going to be on medication. And I'm sorry, I don't remember the exact numbers. But so I went back to my naturopath. And I mean, I, 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 this is stuff that I learned, but I wanted it to be kind of validated by the naturopath. And we talked about what, it, you know, all the foods that are good for your bones that have the, the mineral matrix. So for instance, leafy greens is number one and beans and legumes because they're so high in minerals. And we talked about, you know, the fact that your bones grow based on their weight bearing. So the more weight bearing activity you do, the stronger your bones are. So anyway, I put into place this whole regime where I changed, even though I was eating healthy, I, I basically doubled my green intake, maybe tripled it on some days. I made sure to eat beans more often because for whatever reason, I don't seem to eat a lot of beans. And I was also taking supplements. But anyway, after a year, I was basically normal. Wow. So you can you can reverse disease. You can prevent disease. There are lots of stories of type 2 diabetics who go on a raw food diet and their diabetes is gone in two weeks. I mean, it's just crazy yes. that for the, the way we tend to eat in North America, if you look at what they call the standard American diet, it's basically a disease-promoting diet. So I think anything that people can do to bring real food back into their diet and more vegetables and more natural foods, that's going to help no matter what. Oh, that's such good advice. I love that. Okay, so I'm just going to ask you, do you have anything uh, new, you, uh, anything coming up that you can talk about, like, you know, any new books on the horizon? I'm not, I, I'm working on some digital books right nice. now that I'm going to have on yeah, I'm gonna. I, I'm just starting a new series of the uh, top top twelve favorite uh, recipes. So that's going to be a series with different categories. Like because I um, I get asked a lot of the time for anti candida recipes. So I'm going to do like a top ten, a top twelve breakfast recipes, and top twelve desserts, things that you can eat on an anti candida diet. And um, those will those will be coming out over the next six months. And I, I, I think, as I mentioned, I started um, a program called the, the Sweet Life Club, which is a membership club for people who are on, it doesn't have to be an anti-candida diet, though there are a lot of people in there, but basically for anyone on a special diet where they've been told they have to restrict, like, go gluten-free or sugar-free or something like that, and they're, they want ongoing support for that, so... We do recipes and we do interviews and we and there's a live Q and A where they're coached by me once a month and they can ask all their questions about food and I've really I've loved it because oh, it's great um, I love the people in that group yeah it's just uh, been a lot of fun ah oh, what a great resource and you know um, it's interesting because you know my background has been uh, working in healthcare situations and. Uh, <laughs> We found that people who are, let's say they're recently diagnosed with something like diabetes, it's a very isolating condition if nobody else in their family has it. So being able to be in a group like that can be so helpful. And that's really why I started it, because I know how alone I felt when I was first diagnosed. And yeah. there's nobody to act like this way. You have other people who, who get it, who know what it's like to feel that way. Yeah. And also the more people you have in the group, the more answers you get to your questions the more different perspectives right. and somebody's probably been there right yes so it's exactly 
you're not the only one who's felt this way or dealt dealt with this particular issue. And maybe somebody else has thought of an answer and it worked for them. And you know, that's great. Yeah. Cool. Oh, I love that. That's a great resource. I'll leave a link in the show notes page for everybody to find that. Oh, great. Okay, so just here we are at the end of the interview. And I've just got a, a couple of fun questions for you. So what's one food item you can't live without? Oh, that one's so easy. Chocolate. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear that answer. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner, if I could. Yeah, I mean, that's definitely, I know, I know it's cliche to say, but it really is my favorite food, yeah. Cool. I'm going to have to uh, get one of your recipes and leave that as a link on the show notes page, too, so people can see how they can make their own homemade chocolate with, the, you know, candida friendly or anti-candida friendly. <laughs> okay, sure. I'll send you a link for that, for sure. Cool. I love that. Okay, so do you have a favorite workout that you do? I do, yeah. I go to, well, because I have issues with uh, my joints from way back, so there are only certain things I'm, I'm able to do, but I've worked out this workout now where I do some cycling, and then I do some elliptical, and then I do my weights. Nice. And you do that it at home, a, or do you go to a gym? No, I go to a gym. We have a local club, uh, workout club near where I live, and I go there. Yeah, I'm in a spin class on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and let me tell you, those are really tough. Yeah. I've heard they're they're wicked. <laughs> yes, so it's it's good. No matter what, it's you know good to stay active, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay. And I walk dogs every day for an hour. <laughs> you say you walk? I walk my dogs for about an hour every day. Going that speed, that can be a workout. <laughs> yes, it, it, actually, I think sometimes that's a, an overlooked form. We walk our dogs every day too, and well, I don't walk in the cold, but yeah. <laughs> I have I to do. have 30 degrees or above to walk my oh, dogs. Thank goodness. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I do think it's a, a uh, it's a good source of just kind of like that everyday exercise is really good for you. Yeah. Okay, so what inspires you? Uh, some other people inspire me. There, there are people I look up to that as role models that, you know, someone in, someone who operates with integrity inspires me. People who are creative inspire me. Yeah. That's good. I love that. Okay, so how can people find you online? I'm at rickyheller.com. So it's R-I-C-K-I-H-E-L-L-E-R.com. That's my blog. And I'm pretty much Ricky Heller everywhere else as well, uh, except Facebook where it's Ricky Heller page. <laughs> <laughs> like Twitter, Instagram, um, it's all just my name, Ricky Heller. Wonderful. Ricky, thanks so much for taking the time to talk with me today. I had a great time. Oh, it's been so much fun. Thank you so much. So there you have it. Thanks to Ricky Heller for being my guest on today's episode of the Namely Marley podcast. If you'd like more information about today's show, just head over to the show notes page at namelymarley.com forward slash podcast. I hope you love the Namely Marley podcast. I know that we love preparing it for you. It would mean the world to me if you'd head over to iTunes and give it a review. Also, you can spread the word about the Namely Marley podcast on Twitter or Instagram or even Facebook. Your shout outs really mean a lot. You inspire me and I hope today's show was inspirational to you as well. Thanks so much for listening and have a great week. Mm-hmm.